In the magazine Psychology Today, psychologist John D. Mayer describes what it means to display personal intelligence. He writes, people who display such an ability understand themselves and know who they are. They evaluate others more accurately and therefore make more allowances of others' foibles. They are better at acknowledging their own limitations too. Let me ask you, how personally intelligent are you? How well do you know and understand yourself? And how ready are you to make alliances for others and to acknowledge your own limitations? The scriptures answer many of the questions such a pursuit for personal intelligence might raise. God's word tells us that if we desire to be personally intelligent, we need to know both our identity and our destiny. We need to understand these two things if we're to live in this world as God intends. This morning in our study of the fruit of the spread, we're considering the idea of gentleness or meekness. This concept combines the ideas of both gentleness and strength. It is par under control. It is in a sense this concept of personal intelligence. Gentleness, meekness before God is having a submissive teachable spirit as Isaiah 66 and verse 2 records. God speaks and said, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And gentleness or meekness towards others is being humble and considerate, showing an awareness of the frailty and fallibility of the people we encounter day by day. Gentleness is a devalued commodity in our world, but it must be part of the Christian's ID, the Christian's identity and destiny. So let's think first about identity. I wonder, do you ever tune in to Who Do You Think You Are, a popular TV series exploring the ancestry of celebrities? Research into the previous generations of your family is not only interesting, it's also enlightening. You can understand or learn a great deal about why you are the way you are as you delve into what has gone before in your family tree. Because my mother was adopted, I don't know anything about my grandparents and the generations before them on that side of the family. Part of my identity is unknown and I miss it because it's important to know our identity. Think about Moses. In the book of Numbers, we read Numbers 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, or often translated as humble, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. If we're going to understand meekness, gentleness or humility, where better to look than at the man who was considered to be the meekest on the planet? So what did Moses know of his identity? We read in Hebrews eleven twenty four, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses understood his nature and that he was in grave danger because of his privileged upbringing in the opulent palaces of Pharaoh. There in that land, those with whom he rubbed shoulders thought they were God. 
But Moses knew the truth of Yahweh, the living God, and thus his own identity. Moses knew the origin of his identity as the one who's credited with writing the book of Genesis. He knew how he was formed. He knew that he was not a a self-made man, but a God-made man. Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And Moses being the author of Psalm 90, also understood the frailty of humanity. There we read Psalm 90 verse 3. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. He knew how he was formed and he knew the frailty of humanity. All before the might of the creator God. And the book of Genesis doesn't just tell us how we're formed, it tells us of our fall. And to know our identity is to know that we are fallen. And understanding this makes a great deal of sense with what we see in the world around us and as we delve into our own hearts. The serpent's temptation to Eve was that she would become like God. And yet, Adam and Eve had already been made in the image of God. But the syrupy words of the serpent blinded them to the truth of who they were. And Eve and her husband believed the lie that they would be able to take control of their own destiny. Sin entered the world and now it marks the life of every person. Writing in in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul puts it like this, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. People in the world around us, such as Paul is thinking of there, forget the source of their identity when they forget where they are from and that they are fallen. What happens then is these people make themselves as gods. Everything has to be submitted to their desire. And Paul goes on in Romans 1 to explain with the example that that people succumb to their feelings and pursue same-sex relationships because their identity is now determined by how they feel. And they forget that those feelings are subject to the influence of the fall. Their, Their identity is determined by how they feel, not by how they were formed. And they refuse to submit to the word of God. Isn't it interesting? That those who choose this path, this same sex path, proclaim their defiance under the banner of pride, which is the opposite of humility or gentleness that we're thinking about. But this is just one symptom of a loss of identity. Please hear me. This is not just about some bad people who are different from us. No. Paul goes on to catalogue the many deeds that spring from the lives of those who do not see fit to acknowledge God, Romans 1.28, who ignore their identity. He includes being disobedient to parents, gossiping, envy, being haughty or boastful. If you forget how you're formed, if you forget how you're fallen, if you lose sight of your identity, then you become comfortable in the pursuit of sin and you are eager to approve those who practice it. John Calvin writes in the Institutes, 
for we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. This pride is innate in all of us, unless by clear proofs we stand convinced of our own unrighteousness, foulness, folly and impurity. Moreover, we are not thus convinced if we look merely to ourselves and not also to the Lord, who is the sole standard by which this judgment must be measured. What is the impact of knowing our identity? What is the application of this teaching? Well, the fruit of the spread, that is gentleness, means that we understand that we are sinners, fallen, flawed, in need of a saviour. We cannot remedy our own situation. We need his gracious intervention. And this is gentleness or meekness before God. It is the cry of the repentant sinner to the only one who can make a difference. The sinner's prayer, have mercy on me, O Lord. But what about meekness or gentleness towards others? Richard Dunnigan tells how his children won four goldfish at a school carnival that necessitated a Saturday morning family outing to buy a fish tank. The first few he found were very expensive, but then he spotted a used one right in the middle of the aisle. Discarded 10 gallon tank, complete with gravel and filter, and it was only $5, he writes. Of course it was nasty dirty, but the savings made the two hours of a clean up a breeze. Those four new fish looked great in their new home, at least for the first day. But by Sunday, one had died. Too bad, but three remained. Monday morning revealed a second casualty. And by Monday night, a third goldfish had gone belly up. We called in an expert, a member of our church, who had a 30-gallon tank. It didn't take him long to discover the problem. I had washed the tank with soap, an absolute no-no. My uninformed efforts had destroyed the very lives I was trying to protect. And Dunnigan concludes, Sometimes in our zeal to clean up our own lives or the lives of others, we unfortunately use killer soaps, condemnation, criticism, nagging, fits of temper. We think we're doing right, but our harsh, self-righteous treatment is more than they can bear. When you know your own identity, when you understand how you're formed and how you've fallen, any sense of self-righteousness is crushed. Paul reminds us those familiar words of Ephesians 2, 7 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Don't you realize? that Jesus could in an instant deal with all the sin of this world. But who then among us would survive? And so we find these words in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is gentleness. This is power under control. Moses was a man whose life was marked by the fruit of the Spirit, that is gentleness. 
because he knew who he was and he knew who God was. He was not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected his place of power in the world. He was not a God to be served, but rather he served the true God. And the writer to the Hebrews continues his spiritual biography saying, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Hebrews 11 verses 25 and 26. And this leads us then to the second part of the Christian's ID, our destiny, identity and destiny. Again, chapter 11 of Hebrews begins. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Our destiny is determined by faith. Some years ago at Easter, Liz and I had decided to take our grandson Kyle to Edinburgh to see the pandas in the zoo. This was our Christmas present to him and we tried to get it all organised and we tried to pre-book slots to see the pandas on the only day that we could visit. But they were all gone. Fortunately, there were some first come, first served tickets available on the morning. So we arrived at the zoo well before opening hours. But already there was a considerable queue. So there was a bit of gentle Presbyterian minister-like jockeying for position. Because I realised that everyone in front of me was a potential threat. That they might be taking up one of those available slots. And Kyle had been so looking forward to seeing these pandas from Christmas Day onwards. Have you ever been in that position? Worried that others were going to... Take what you want and there wouldn't be enough for you. Did you ever in your household, whenever there were buns left on the table, lick one to make sure you would get yours after dinner? When we believe our destiny to be finite, limited, we become aggressive. Our greed is stirred and we even would wish harm on others, hoping that they would miss out so that we won't. When we believe in Jesus, those who have the gift of faith, we are confident of our destiny, that there is always for God's child better by far to come. And so if we miss out here and now, well, what does that matter? There are greater rewards in the eternal days yet to be. You can remember the words that were placed on Abraham's lips by Jesus in the famous parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke 16, 25, we read this. Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. The whole message of this great 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews is about faith. It contains testimony after testimony of Old Testament heroes who held fast to God, knowing that in due time he would lead them to something that was better by far. And Moses sets aside his temporary access to wealth and power of Egypt. And he went looking for a reward that he would not gain in his life. 
He did it not for a parcel of land in Cana. He never crossed the Jordan River, but he did it for a, an eternal heavenly home. His humble confidence, his unconquerable faith in God enabled him to eagerly anticipate his future. This is our destiny, to live by faith in the present and to experience glory in the future. And this means that we can live humbly, meekly, gently, because we know that our eternal rewards will be great. We don't have to trample on others. We don't have to push ourselves forward. We don't have to complain when others take advantage of us. We fully anticipate that living for Jesus in this time, in this place, in this world will be difficult. Let me share with you a few of those bold biblical declarations. Peter writes, commending the pattern to believers. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 12, that if we endure with him, we also will reign with him. Or Romans 8 verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. Paul writes, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we see this pattern in Jesus. Again, the writer to the Hebrews declares in Hebrews 12 too, that we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see what is the destiny of the children of God? It is exaltation, reigning and glory. This is the better by far that is to come for those who have faith in Jesus. The Apostle John wrote, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3 and verse 2. This is the believer's destiny. Perhaps this morning you feel deeply burdened, worried, wearied by all that you have to experience. We're living in troubled days. People are facing illness. There's relational breakdown. There's the pressures that are placed upon you. Uh, family responsibilities, work responsibilities, church responsibility. Listen to the, the beautiful words of Jesus. It's humble, gentle saviour who issues this great invitation you know it well matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 jesus said come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my 
burden is light. Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? Formed by God, yet fallen into sin. But we give thanks for the good news of the gospel. That this gentle Jesus invites you to come to him, that he might give you a new destiny. Living now by faith in him, you eagerly anticipate a glorious future with him. Jesus is gentle. And he desires that the fruit of the spirit of gentleness would be produced in you. When you know who you are, when you know who he is and what he's done for you, you can know what you will be, which transforms living in each and every day.